Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. He will then speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please join with me in prayer. Father, you pronounce uh, here your blessing upon all who hear you, who meditate on what you say to us uh, day and night. And so we ask for that even now, that you would be very present as we seek as your community to hear you. Would you please form us and lead us in the way of blessing that you promised to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're beginning a new series, often as we do in the summer we're going to be focusing on the Psalms, and you might have noticed perhaps unusually we're actually focusing on two Psalms together, Psalm 1 and 2, because in a very real way those two Psalms are meant to work together to act as the introduction to the rest of the book of Psalms. Some of you perhaps have read, you know, long nonfiction books, sometimes at the very beginning there will be the author kind of in his introduction saying, let me tell you what I'm about to say, let me tell you how you're supposed to use this book, let me tell you what it's about. And that's actually what Psalms 1 and 2 function as. They are kind of this entryway orienting us to what the whole book of the Psalms, all of 150 of them are about. And really perhaps the, one of these central words for us to pay attention to, the one that kind of begins the first psalm and is near the very end of the second psalm is this word blessed. Perhaps you noticed at the very beginning, blessed is the man who. 
And at the very end, it also concludes, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And, and so what we're meant to understand from the very outset is that that's what the Psalms are meant to help us do. The Psalms are given to us to enable us to experience the pathway of blessing. Which I realize um, is kind of a churchy way of putting it, so let me try to kind of unpack that. That, that word blessing, sometimes actually translations will use the word happy, because that kind of gets it. But the problem with happy is sometimes it can kind of be more of just like, you know, woohoo, someone just hit a home run, that kind of like quick euphoria. But that's not really the happiness that's being talked about here. It's, it's the good life. There's something deeper and satisfying. That's what this blessedness is talking about. The Psalms at the very beginning are saying, do you want a truly happy life? Let me tell you how. Now, I realize in our day and age, it is not hard for us to find advice about how to be happy. I decided to Google this week, and um, amongst the many options, I saw one that was 33 keys to happiness. I'll share some. I'm sure they will all be enlightening. Um, so, number one, surround yourself with people who smile. I mean, are we supposed to be smiling all the time? That feels really creepy. Um, socialize frequently, number two. Sorry, introverts. Um, number three, listen to your heart. Number four, enjoy what you do, which does raise the question, if my heart says I don't enjoy socializing, what, what do I do about that? Stop worrying uh, is another one, and I'm, I'm not worrying about whether I should be socializing enough. And then finally, and this is the one that I think is especially powerful, a key to be happy is number six, choose to be happy. So that, if you're, I hope, you know, if you feel like you're already filled, you can like, you know, shut off your brain for the rest of the time. No, please don't, because I think probably all of us feel like that's probably not going to suddenly be the game changer in our lives. And sometimes when we hear stuff like this, we respond, understandably, with cynicism, maybe even asking the question, can I actually make a difference in my life when it comes to actual happiness. I mean, we probably know that there's a certain degree that who we are is predetermined by our genetics. Some of us just are naturally cheerful. And we also know that some of us are born into better situations than others, completely through no fault of our own. And some of us experience things in our past that continue to weigh upon us. All of these things we have no control over. So is there really anything that we can do, any choice that we can make that actually can lead us to a life of happiness? And the Psalms, from the very outset, say yes. Now, to be clear, it defines what this blessedness is. It gives us two images. The life of blessing, we are told, is like a tree, a tree planted by water, and that detail is important because it, the idea is that there is this strength and there's this flourishing and this fruitfulness and this vitality that is true whether things go well or not, whether it's drought or rain, there is always this resource so there is a resilience, so there is a life even in the midst of difficulty of strength and flourishing. On the other hand, we have another image, an image of, of chaff, we are told. I mean, all of us a few days ago noticed just how smoky things were. Maybe you looked on your, like, phone about how, like it's, like, it's super dangerous and you'll die if you go outside because the air is so bad. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but sometimes it felt like that. And so there's all of these particles that were just around, and then a day or two later, they blew away, and we've almost forgotten about them. And 
And that, the Psalms is saying, is another pathway. Two pathways. One can lead to this, this resilient tree that's with able, able to stand strong and flourish and even in the midst of difficulty. One might for a moment feel like it's something, but it just dissipates. Maybe it was annoying and it's forgotten. There are two pathways. Verse 6 actually of chapter 1 says, there talks about two ways. The way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. You have a choice where you will either find the blessedness of being like a tree planted by water or the perishing that is found in the chaff of the wicked. And what our Psalms want us to know from this very beginning point is that that choice is fundamentally about what we do with the rule of God. These Psalms tell us that the life that is blessed, that pathway is found as we take refuge in God's rule. So Psalm 1, it's fairly clear, right? It, it says, when it talks about the life of the one who's blessed, it says in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And that word law is, is the word Torah, which you might know is the word for the first five books of the Bible. So it's not just talking about commandments. It's talking about all that God has shown, the story, the exodus, the creation, everything that God has given in the law of Moses that is meant to instruct his people on how to live under his kingship. The one, we are told, who, who delights in that, who lives under it, meditating day and night, that's the pathway to blessedness. Psalm 2 moves away from talking about the Torah, but the idea of God's rule is still present. But now, it's not present primarily in what is written, but in a person. Perhaps you notice it talks about the Lord and His anointed one. And this anointed one later on is spoken of as a king or as someone that God even calls His son. From the very time of David onward, there has been this understanding amongst the people of Israel that God has promised a future anointed one who will so perfectly embody God's rule, who will so have internalized God's law, that God will actually speak of this person as his son, as his perfect representative. That's the person who's at the center of Psalm 2. But again, where is the blessedness? Blessed are all who take refuge in him, who kiss the son. Again, the idea is, if you want that, that tree by the water blessedness, it comes as you learn to take refuge in the rule of God, whether that is as you meditate on His Word or whether that is as you show allegiance to His Son. This is the way, we are told. And what's more, what we're supposed to understand from these opening psalms is that the psalms are meant to help us do exactly that. So this idea of meditating on God's law day and night, that idea of meditation is literally like mumbling about, it's praying, it's, it's pondering. How do, you, how do we do that? The Psalms say, here we are, this is how you do it. It's interesting, perhaps you've noticed, perhaps you haven't. The Psalms themselves are actually constructed into five different books. And actually in the middle of book one and the middle of book five, there is a psalm that's speaking about the law of God. And the point in all of this is these five books of the psalms are given as accompaniments to help us to meditate on God's law day and night. The psalms are like, do you want the way of blessedness? Come walk along this way, we'll show you how. 
And there's also another way in which that is the case, because even as these psalms, all 150 of them, are songs, they're not first and foremost the songs that we sing. Throughout the Psalter, there is one voice that is prominent above all else, and that is David's. Or perhaps more to the point, because David had died long before these psalms were constructed, the, the Davidic figure, this anointed one that the psalms keep pointing to. So some of the psalms, many of them in fact, are written as psalms of David, but even ones that aren't psalms of David, again and again, we come back to this idea of the king, of the anointed one, of God being enthroned in Zion. Throughout these songs we are meant to understand before we sing them are actually songs that the king himself sings on behalf of the people. And at this point, it's probably worthwhile to make explicit what's already been implied. Some of you might know that that word, the anointed one, that we see here in Psalm 2, um, literally in Hebrew, it's, it's Messiah. Or if we were to do the Greek translation, that word, the anointed one, is Christ. And that points us to what we should probably already begin to recognize, that when, when this psalm is talking about God and His Christ, this King that as we submit to, we submit to God Himself, this King who God Himself calls my Son, what this psalm is speaking of is Jesus. And, and while I won't have time to develop this fully right now, it's something that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, one of the fundamental keys to understanding the psalms is that these songs, before they are our songs, they are Jesus' songs. As he grew up, he was the one who sang them as our king, singing on our behalf. And even as we maybe imagine ourselves kind of joining in, we're only the backup singers. Jesus is the one who sings each of these songs first and foremost. And as we are people who are seeking to take refuge in Jesus, as we are people who are seeking to trust in Him, one of the key ways we do this, the psalm says, is by singing with Him. So here is what we have here. We have in the Psalter, in both of these ideas, how do you meditate on God's law day and night Let's study the Psalms. Let's listen to them. How, how do we place ourselves under Christ's leadership? How do we walk along this path of righteousness? The Psalms will show us the way. If you want a life that is good, if you want a life that is resilient even in times of difficulty, the Psalm says, come and we will show you the pathway of taking refuge in God's rule. That, if, if there's one thing for us to remember, to orient us in the future weeks, that is where I want us to kind of focus. In fact, the rest of the time, I, I only want to address the hesitations that we might feel about that idea, that we actually can choose a good way of blessedness. Because at least I suspect for many of us, in at least some part of our heart, there is some question or some doubt about whether or not we can trust this to be true. In fact, even our Psalms recognize that what it is putting forth as the reality that this is the way of blessedness is not the majority position that the world holds. Perhaps you noticed that at the very beginning of Psalm 2, you have in some ways this idea of this kind of ancient United Nations, like all of the dignitaries, all of the leaders gathering together, and they are united by one clear idea, and that is that the way of blessedness is not found in taking in refuge in God's rule, but in escaping it. 
And we hear their rationale, their thinking in verse 3. If, if in some ways the Psalms are the songs of Jesus, the songs of sitting under God's rule, here in verse 3 we see the counter-anthem, the, the battle cry of the resistance. In verse 3 it says, let us burst their bonds, and there right here is the anointed one, it's, it's, it's God and His Christ. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Do you understand what's being said here? This, this language of bonds, or it could even be, be translated shackles and chains. This is slavery language. The nations, the leaders are saying to be under God's rule lessens us. It takes away our freedom. It takes away our humanity. The way to a good life is by escaping that. Which, if you think about it, actually feels very contemporary. I, uh, when I was working on my dissertation, which some of you might know, I was working on the idea of freedom. And one of the key figures about 200 years ago was a philosopher by the name of John Stuart Mill. He's written a number of things that continue to influence the way America thinks of freedom today. And one of the things that I came across in his writing was he just really did not like Christianity much because he thought Christianity, he called it narrow. It pinches us because the idea that we are somehow supposed to allow someone else to tell us what to do, the idea of us submitting ourselves, we, Mill would say, there is a person within us that needs to flourish and grow. And if all again we're just submitting ourselves, that person is always going to stay pinched. And whether we agree with him or not, my guess is there's a part of us that understands what he's talking about, or at least feels some reson resonance with that. I mean, I think we are in general positive towards the idea of there being a God who is transcendent, a God who made us, a God who has a plan, a God that we can see and worship. But when it moves to a God that we have to trust, who will bring us through things that we will not understand. Or even worse, perhaps, a God who commands us and calls us to obey even when it doesn't feel right to us. It feels pinched. If we are the ones who work for the money that we receive, why should we ask what God tells us to do with our money? If, if we are people who make choices, why should we have to think about how our time is spent and seek to submit to God even when we don't want to do it that way? And why, if we know we love someone, should we allow God to tell us whether or not to sleep with that person? It feels like it is not the pathway of blessedness. It feels like it is not the pathway of freedom for at least a part of us. But I like us to at least, that part of us that feels any resonance, to ask a couple of questions. And first, just to simply ask, let's consider the alternative. Is that way of casting off God's instruction, of doing things on our own, of choosing to do what we want, does that actually accomplish the freedom? Does it actually make us more human? I was reading a book uh, called The Genesis of Gender by Abigail Fafale, a really interesting book. And um, at one point, she was, she was sharing about a time where like the plane had landed and she was just kind of like looking over another person's shoulder and she saw this person opening a dating app and, and she describes this. She said, he's scrolling for sex. 
Women's faces flash across his phone screen. He swipes most of them away with barely a glance, unbelievably quickly. Peering shamelessly over his shoulder, I see woman after woman, face after face, some smiling brightly, others tentatively, hopefully, some attempting seduction. He pauses only on the faces that are young, half of his age, pressing a button with his thumb to file these women away for later. I think about each woman, her desire for love, for companionship, to be seen, to be known, to be looked upon with adoration and respect. What woman, what human doesn't want these things? Favali comments that as she's watching, she finds herself feeling a, a deep anger towards this man and, and writes, he is not seeing these women as persons. He is assessing them hastily as potential outlets for his appetites, like scouring a drive through window for that burger that will hit the spot. His actions are frantic, compulsive. He's trolling for prey like a shark, circling endlessly, unable to stop moving. He is not in control. He is being controlled. Just as his lust obscures the personhood of the face on his screen, so it also diminishes his own humanity. In making objects of these women, he has made an animal of himself. Is the life of casting off the rule of God, the life where we are doing what we ought, does that really accomplish freedom? Does it really make us more human? And then the other question I'd like us to ask is, and does the rule of God really take away our freedom and our humanity? I understand why sometimes we might have that sense. There, there can be a, a feeling, I think, when we come together for church or when we try to be church appropriate, whatever that means, that we're supposed to somehow kind of shrink ourselves, fit ourselves into a very appropriate holy package where we're only saying the right things, doing the right things, because that's what God expects of us. And if that is the case, no wonder we feel like it is confining. But, but here's the thing. The Psalms actually are showing us Here's the way. And when we look at the Psalms, we see something very different. Yes, we see the Psalms filled with gratitude, but we also see Psalms that express grief. Yes, we see Psalms that speak with great confidence, and yet there are Psalms with utter confusion. Yes, we see Psalms that speak with wisdom, and yet we also see these Questions that seem like inappropriate questions, like, God, have you forgotten to be gracious? God, how long will you be? We see awe and wonder, and we see desolation. In other words, we see the whole gamut of humanity. Even we see confession of sins, and what the Psalms are telling us is all of these have place with God. Every aspect of your humanity no matter how messy or inappropriate or ungodly you feel like it is, it's all welcome before God and God will receive it and take it. That's what the Psalms show us because this is the way. And if we're saying that the Psalms are ultimately the songs of Jesus, then what we're meant to understand is Jesus, the one who sings these songs, is the fullest picture of what it looks like to walk in the way, 
And let me ask you this. If you compare this image of the person on Tinder swiping with a picture of Jesus as he spends time with the tax collectors and sinners, as he parties at a wedding, as he lays down his life on the cross, which of those two feel more free to you? Which of those two are more human? But I realize when we consider this idea that here is the pathway to blessedness, that there is another perhaps even deeper objection that a part of us at least is asking. And that, that relates to simply we, we know stories. We know stories of people who have sought in every way to be faithful, but their marriage has fallen apart and their partner has now left for another person. And their partner seems happy, but they're not. We know situations where, where there's a person who sought to be faithful and ethical in the way that he did work, but either lost his job or his work went bankrupt. We know situations where, where people who, for specific reasons related to their faith and faithfulness, have experienced, especially in other countries, imprisonment. Their lives seem to be worse. We know people who experience disease and death of loved ones, all of whom are saying, I will trust myself to the rule of God. And we ask, how does that work if this is supposed to be the way of blessedness? And if you think about it, Part of the very reason that this, this anthem of, of resistance, let us cast the chains away, the only reason that people can sing that is because they feel like, hey, we can get away with this because it certainly doesn't seem like God is in control. The, the, the majority voice of the nations would perhaps say to us, yes, maybe our way isn't ideal, maybe it doesn't always look like freedom, but at least it's in our hands. At least we know who's in control in our situation. How about with you? The anthem, because it surrounds us, can seem so loud. Break the chains. Break the chains. This isn't the way. There is a better way. Break the chains. This song is almost deafening, except, except there is one voice that we need to make sure we are hearing. There is one voice that is clear and confident and pure. And that, as we have said before, is the voice of Jesus. He is the one who with confidence in every single psalm sings these psalms before us, and he declares that these are all true. We've already said, and it's worth revisiting this point, that what verse 6 of chapter 1 calls the pathway of righteousness and wickedness is exactly that, ways. And the very idea of a way is that it is a journey. It is not the destination in and of itself which implies that there are going to be different turns, different challenges. And if you study the Psalms, you will see that that is exactly what the Psalms anticipate again and again, that as we walk along the way the Psalms have marked out for us, there are times of confusion, there are times of grief, there are times of lament. All of this is part of the way the Psalm is very transparent about that. And in fact, Jesus has sung all of those things. Yes, he has sung about the, the greatness of God and the greatness of following him, but he has spoken of grief. He has sung of sorrow. And on the very cross, he sung Psalm 22 in desolation, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he knows these songs better than even we do. 
But that isn't the song he sings anymore. He sings, you might say, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the deepest pit and set my feet upon the rock. When the Father raised the Son from the dead, he said, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. And so Jesus says to his disciples, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus can sing to us and tell us it's all true because he has come to the destination. Jesus is the tree that is planted by the streams of water of God's nourishing strength. He is fruitful in all he does, and he says, come and join and sing with me because this is the pathway of blessedness. In the New Testament, we have uh, the Apostle Paul describing the Christian life. And on one hand, it, it probably doesn't feel terribly flattering. He, he says about his life, we are afflicted in every way. But then he goes on to say, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a tree that is planted by a stream of water so that even in the midst of being perplexed, even in the midst of being persecuted, there is resilience and there is strength because there is resurrection. Here's something that we all know. We all know that there is no way of avoiding in this life suffering. This world is broken by sin. Suffering, unfortunately, is a part of this world. The question that we must ask ourselves is, how do we navigate this world that is difficult? And we are given here two options. There is a way that can be ephemeral, a way that can be broken, a way that will just dissipate into nothingness. And there's a way of strength and resilience, a way that ultimately lands in fruitfulness and delight. And the psalm says, blessed are you if you choose the way of placing refuge in God. Blessed are you if you sing with Jesus these songs. I'd like to invite us just to spend a minute or two kind of, you know, if, if we're blessed in meditating on God's Word day and night, let's take a moment or two just allowing this to kind of sink in, perhaps if it feels appropriate to you, where we see ourselves needing to, to confess where we have fallen short, and then I'll lead us in prayer in a couple minutes' time. Would you please join with me in prayer?